Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name is Dave Handready and there will be no popcorn. What a joyous intro that was. I bet it's a really fun film. I bet it's a real romp and we're all going to be in a really good mood after we've seen it. The film is a net and we'll be discussing that on the show today. I'm joined by David Higgins. How you doing, Dave? Good to be back. Been been too long, I think. It's been, been a, while. a month. Yeah, I think it's been a bit of a month. Uh, we had to wash off the Zac Efron EDM stench for a bit. Although I, I don't hate that movie or anything, but uh, Norma Howard is also here. Hello. Hello. Just, you know, come on. <laughs> the stench. That seems <laughs> aggressive. For well, a film you know, that you said was fine. Two and a half. Two, the, the sacred Did you give it Dave two and a half already? in the end? I gave, I gave it two and a half, yeah. Um, which is, I mean, like, it's the market quality. Five. Out of five. Yeah, yeah. But, like... We, we we keep talking about like almost every episode, like the, the, the two, the two and a half, like the worthy two, two and a half. And I guess we can get to some of those because, of course, as is tradition, before we get to our main event this week, and there is a timestamp in the description if you want to jump straight to it, I might also have a similar star rating for Annette. We don't know yet. We'll find out. Unless, of course, you already look at my letterbox, in which case you will know my verdict. But nonetheless, uh, Norma Howard, I want to start with you. What have you been watching in the, I think it's been a bit of a month since we last spoke. What has stood out for you, good or bad? Um, well, what stood out that was very, very good um, that I watched that just won some Emmys last night as well is Mayor of Easttown um, is a TV series. Did I watch it on Amazon? I think I did with Kate Winslet. It's it's really, really good. I think like at the time everyone was like, this is mind blowing, like genre defining cop show. Um, I don't think I was that crazy about it. Like it's very interesting. It's nicely told it wraps up really well Kate Winslet's fantastic in it Julianne Nicholson and Evan Peters are also in it I think they both won Emmys last last night for best supporting actor 
Um, they are fantastic in it. It's really nice to see, I think his name's Evan Peters, doing work outside of American Horror Story. Because um, I feel like he is a really, really good actor and maybe he was just kind of stuck in that churning machine for a considerable amount of time. I stopped watching the American Horror Stories years ago. I think they're still going. I don't. I think they're like into the next season and Sarah Paulson's like, maybe I won't be in these ones. And I'm like, it's been about, I want to say like eight years. Um, so fantastic to see him doing really, really great work in like uh, an interesting TV show. I think it's going to have a season two. And I reckon now that it's won some Emmys, it probably will. It seemed like at the end they were kind of setting up like there could be more of it. Um, but yeah, really nicely told. I'd say like the big strength of it in comparison to other kind of big detective cop shows is that it does have a really, really great acting and a lot of the actors have very good chemistry. Like the storylines themselves are nothing kind of like out of the ordinary that you would see in a cop show, which is why I find it hard when people are like, it's mind blowing. I didn't get the twists. I'm like, the twists aren't beyond belief. <laughs> like there's nothing supernatural going on here. Um, but yeah, very, very good show. Um, something else that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, so this is an Irish film called Extraordinary. It came out, God, I think probably three years ago at this stage. Um, it stars Maeve Higgins and Barry Ward and it is a supernatural uh, thing but it's a comedy it's um, yeah it's just a lot of fun it's up on Netflix I would highly recommend anyone to watch it I think it's about 90 minutes it's a good romp Maeve Higgins is very charming and very funny I have a lot of time for her um, and I'd love to see her in more film production work or a TV series. Um, Will Forte is also in it, which I thought was wild. <laughs> but apparently she's very good friends with him and she's quite a big deal in America also seemingly. And she kind of convinced him to come on to this project. Um, I feel like someone discussed this film on here before. Was it Higgs? Did you see it? It was not I, even though was I'm he? I'm very much invested in my namesake Maeve Higgins's career. I, I want know, good things for, for, for all the I want good things for all the Higginses. The Higgins whether time. they be Michael D or Moore or May. <laughs> nice. There's good representation of Higgins around the country. Um the the other thing I finally watched, I explained this to Dave recently. I started to watch Spider Man Far From Home. And I switched it off after 10 minutes because I thought it was so boring. 10 and then minutes? One, yeah, I know. I couldn't, I couldn't get on board. It felt like a Lizzie McGuire film. Like it's two it and real. a half, but 10 minutes? I, mean, I that, know. That's more ruthless it, it, it than just, me. It had a real bang of like spin-off about it. Like it didn't feel like a proper standalone Marvel film. Like it felt like the, the production quality was down a little bit. Like it's like they go to Venice on a school tour and it all feels like Spider-Man goes to Europe. Um, it didn't feel like it was like a fully invested narrative, even though I think it is part of the overall trilogy, which I will say the first Spider-Man film of this with like Tom Holland is Homecoming. This one is Spider-Man Far From Home. And the next one is Spider-Man No no way home. No yeah. way home. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they all named something home? <laughs> because John Watts is a visionary, ladies and gentlemen. I, he's, got, he's got a that's vision for totally ridiculous, and there's no need for it. Um, I can't it believe you tapped out. Up, I, I know believe. it does set up the next film, but then after you gave out to me for tapping out, you were like, "I think that's a bit. 
it's a bit harsh to have turned it off. And I was like, it was more that I was just a bit tired and I didn't watch it. So I did go back. I don't recall giving out to you. <laughs> I, was I think I was just like, Jake Gyllenhaal is really good in it. Now, in fairness, I went back and I watched it since we had that conversation and I awarded it 2.5 out of 5. So... Nice, you know. the standard. Did, did we the see that together, Dave? I feel like we saw that movie together. We did not. I went did to we see not? it on my own in Blanchestown oh one afternoon. I felt like a fucking pedophile because there was like kids <laughs> everywhere. And I was just like, what am I doing? I'm it like is 30s. a bit like, it feels very preteen. It is very it like even that, It's yeah. like the colours on it feel preteen. It's so poppy. It doesn't feel like it has an, an incredible amount of like nuance. Again, have- it felt like a Lizzie McGuire spin-off type thing. I wasn't crazy about it but it was a I don't know a bit of fun I was kind of half invested because I would really like to um I'm trying to get back on board with Marvel films like I I am trying to give it a go I'm gonna try I'm gonna give WandaVision a go and see how I get on with that but a small part of me is wondering why I think there must be some sort of a deal with Disney where they have to bring out certain characters' films every couple of years, like to, I don't know, maybe it's a rights thing to kind of keep it ticking over. Um, Because it does seem like a lot of the productions are just so rushed and just sort of thrown out there and then they don't. Some of they them have get a formula. Like, they have like a template. I mean, like, like this is what is. I think we had this conversation before on this very show, but like what, probably recently actually, when we talked about Black Widow. What annoys me, though, is more like... I'm, I'm totally fine with the MCU being this massive thing that exists. I've watched almost all of them, I think. I haven't really watched the TV shows, but, like, they're there for a reason. And, like, some people love them. Sonic Architect Adam, uh, I think, recently, like, has gone back through all of them. And he loves them. Like, he's just like, it's a lot of wow, fun. So really? it's like, I wouldn't That's begrudge anybody like, who does. That's at this point in time, that is so many films. So it's, it's a big commitment, yeah. But I just kind of yeah. feel like what, what bothers me is, like, they hire, like, really exciting indie directors. And then they just... It, it looks the same every time. It just has this yeah. fucking I don't know what John Watts' uh, background is, but I was not impressed <laughs> whatsoever by this. And I don't particularly think that Far From Home will have me geared up for No Way Home. He's already far from it, so there's no way you know, back. The multiverse, the old Spider-Man villains, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it, it's no just Hulk the same. No Homecoming here. Did anyone see Homecoming? Was that any good? With the first Tom one? Holland, yeah, yeah, it's good, yeah. I don't know My- how I feel about Tom Holland as a as Spider Man. I'm I don't know if I'm entirely convinced. You better yeah. watch out because the Tom Holland high is going to be coming for you with comments like that. <laughs> don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> Best place. To I think be. Zendaya is cool. Will they forgive me if I think she's cool? I'd say so. Yeah, they're together, fair. right? I um, think so. I'll get back to what I've been yeah. watching. <laughs> what else do you have? <laughs> so I also watched... What franchise are you going to um, burn? I know. I need to stop being distracted by things. So I also watched Hustlers, which again has been out like, I think, about three years now. Directed by uh, Lorenz Garafia. I hope I said that right. Um, starring J-Lo, Constance Wu, Lily Reinhardt. There's a host. There's actually there's tons of people in there. It even has cameos from Lizzo. And uh, Cardi B in it. I really, really liked it. I thought it was like stylistically really interesting. It told a story that I don't think I've seen specifically on screen before. It has a bit of twists in it, so I'm not going to I'm not going to ruin it for anyone who wants to watch it. it is on I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. Um, J-Lo is what a star. She is just brilliant in it like steals every scene and I feel like I forget what a good actor she is and how like 
dynamic she is and just like you cannot take your eyes off her like I'm aware that she's also she's playing um, a stripper so she comes out she looks incredible does her dance moves which obviously she's very very capable of doing but even beyond that with like the emotional depth of the film and where it goes she's fantastic the soundtrack is really cool it's just it's just a really very well made film I really really enjoyed it um, I think it was about two and a half hours, probably could have been about 10 or 15 minutes shorter. Um, there's a couple of sequences that I was like, all right, yeah, I get it. I'm kind of hammering this home, but I really, really liked it. And I'd be very interested, interested to see what else comes from that director. She seems really cool. I really like that film as well. I thought for a minute there you were going to say, and I think loads of people were saying it around the time they came out and they were like, guys, Jennifer Lopez is really hot. <laughs> <laughs> She's always been hot, hasn't she? Uh, but when was she not yeah, hot? Yeah, yes, but like there was like some people who were like suddenly it's like oh I I totally forgotten this and it's just like no she's been very very attractive for her entire life all um, the time a very very good movie um I love the soul wax e talking scene where they're like uh, getting all the guys basically off their face on E yeah. and then like fleecing them it's just it's so good that song is fantastic but just like the way it kicks into that scene is yeah. fantastic um, the direction in it is very good really really good yeah uh, I, however, have been watching some bad movies um, and some good ones, but um, I uh, like, like, I, I kind of like, I, I've watched a, a, a rake of films since we last spoke, but like, um, <clears throat> some new ones though, because I'm trying to like, like, I'm trying to see some films in 2021, and I'm realizing that the majority of films I've seen this year are, are, are not great. Like, it hasn't been a very strong year, even pandemic, whatever. But like. Uh, there's one on Netflix that arrived uh, called Sweet Girl, uh, which stars Jason Momoa, uh, everyone's favorite Aquaman hero himself, and it's like this kind of like revenge thriller thing. Um, it contains one of the most preposterous rug pull twists that you will ever see. It's kind of worth watching for that reason, and it has '90s thriller vibe, which I'm all here for. But it's absolutely ridiculous and completely stupid and one star to the max. Also one star, uh, the return of Neil Blomkamp, who of course made District 9 about 10 years ago and everyone thought he was the next big thing. He went on to make Elysium, which wasn't great. He went on to make Chappie, which I did not go near. Um, and he was supposed to remake, like, or, or he was supposed to reboot the Alien franchise. And then Ridley Scott apparently stepped in and went, actually, no, I'll just do Prometheus and Covenant instead, please. Um, but he's back with a new film, um, which has kind of apparently gone straight to video. It's called Demonic, and it's very clearly made with a lower budget. I don't know if it was the thing of passing the time during the pandemic or whatever, but this is a film in which um, <clears throat> a character, like her mother's in like an asylum or something, and she gets called by some medical team to basically like get involved in this kind of weird virtual reality thing that, in which the graphics, and I'm sure this is on purpose, but the graphics look like something out of a PlayStation 2 game. And essentially, like, a demon is involved. And it's really, really boring and not scary and just feels completely throwaway and stupid. But, like, there's one there's one good idea in it and in which the film just barrels into towards the end. So spoilers if you're planning on watching Demonic, skip ahead about two minutes. But, like, essentially there's a moment where, like, the medical team are revealed to be, like, exorcist priests. Like, these kind of, like, weird, like, special ops SWAT team version, like, thereof. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, where is this film going? And then the next scene, they're just dead. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, that was an interesting idea that you just totally threw away. Um, I'm, start I'm starting to think that Neil Blomkamp is, in fact, not a very interesting director and hasn't really been for some time. And I'm not even sure if District 9 was all that good. Apparently, he's going to make District 10. Higgs, are you a fan? 
Um, I was just going to say, I never revisited District 9, even though I did like it. And I thought that there was some maybe interesting ideas in Elysium, but not a very good film. Um, I think the only thing I really took away from it was like the insane accents Jodie Foster was doing in it. Oh, like a French thing or something, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, well like, it, I'm weird because Jodie Foster can speak French and she did in a very long engagement and was very convincing in that. But yeah, there was some, it wasn't even French. I don't know what it was an attempt at. Uh, Chappie is garbage. Um, so yeah, I didn't even, when I saw this pop up on your, your letterbox, I was like, oh, like, what is this? And I had no idea it was even a thing. I had no idea he was still making movies. It kind of seems like he may struggle to after this. Apparently he's been making short films for some company for some time now, so he's getting paid. But yeah, it's just crap. Like, like he's usually very visually strong at the very least, and this just looks like it was made on an iPhone. Like it's not good. Um, there's a film called Kate on Netflix now, uh, which is uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. above. <laughs> you okay. Like you're literally discovering things. I just have no idea. I'd like they have no uh, cultural footprint for me. But they're all brand new. I'm when you to... look at the lineup of the films you have watched, the titles terrible. Yeah, sweet girl. <laughs> just, Kate. It's like what enticed you about Kate or like um, sweet girl weird gross well uh, the fact that the, what, what enticed me about Kate was two things one it's on Netflix uh, two it's from 2021 <laughs> and three <laughs> that's all he needs yeah it's, it's a new film on Netflix so I was like fuck it it's got Mary Elizabeth Winstead who I quite like um, it's kind of like a neon tinged John Wick ripoff type thing sp- spliced with that Dennis Quaid movie from the 80s DOA she plays a super assassin who is poisoned and has X amount of time to live can she find out what's really going on and get revenge? Yada, yada, yada. There's a girl to protect. It's got a couple of really good um, Asian actors who I like in the form of Jun Konamura and Tad- Tadanobu Asano. It's got Woody Harrelson because he's in everything. Uh, it's like barely above a 2.5, but because Mary Elizabeth Winstead is basically cosplaying as Ellen Ripley from the Alien franchise for half the film, I was like, fucking do that. She's great. She could do that. Reboot the film now. It's, it's complete and utter junk food, but, you know, not the least watchable thing you'll ever see. And I'll give you one last one, um, which <clears throat> I don't think it's had an official release here yet, but I couldn't wait any longer. And I, I, I believe Higgs followed my lead and I was very happy to see him give the same score as me. Uh, There's a new Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham film <laughs> called Wrath of Man, which has been... I saw the trailer for this like about six months ago. And in the trailer, like Post Malone gets shot in the face. And I was like, okay, this here's a film with an attitude. Um, It's like... Don't get me wrong, this is Guy Ritchie's Den of Thieves, but at the same time, this is without question the most competent, confident, and entertaining Guy Ritchie film in about 20 years? Maybe ever? I really liked it. <laughs> like, Higgs, what did you think of it? Yeah, um, I, I I, kind of I double stamp on your um, Den of Thieves reference. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know... It's it's very much going more heat. I like everything about it, the 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 visuals in it, but yeah, I just kind of like loved that it was a return to form for Statham because like I'm the biggest Statham fan. I'm sitting here looking at DVDs of the Transporter and Crank and God knows what else. And Higgs he's in just his childhood been, bedroom right now, but we, we should uh, clarify. He, <laughs> he's just been misused for so long and you know even in the fast movies i got like really excited about him being in it but then it ended up being kind of disappointing uh hobson shaw was garbage the meg was terrible and he kind of needs to be in 
an R-rated kind of B-movie. That's kind of where he's best at. And, you know, he's great at delivering a line, but, like, you don't want him... You don't want him yabbering too much. Uh, this just really worked, and it's kind of got, like, good... A good supporting cast, even though I don't know... Some of the performances are questionable, but, like, you know, getting Holt McElhenney in is... He's a stalwart, and he's I'm, a, I'm loving he's, his revival. He's second build in this film, by the way. Holt McElhenney of um, Fight Club and Mindhunter fame. Everyone knows this guy. But Josh Hartnett's in this movie playing a character called Boy Sweat Dave, who I don't understand why he took this role. It must be one of the least, like egotistical roles of all time this character exists to just be inept and scared and the payoff that eventually arrives for this character is shocking uh neve algar is in it as well she's very good in it um it's it's a who's who it's very grim scott eastwood's in it i think it might be the only time i thought i thought scott eastwood was actually in any way effective i thought uh, he was brutal did you yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, is this it's, film um, a 2021 release? Yes, it is. So it's it's weird about it. it. It's been released in the states, and I can't remember who released it in the states. But it's down to be released in the UK and Ireland by Lionsgate. But I went onto Lionsgate's website, and there's nothing about it at all. So I'm like, is this even going to get a release? Because it's done by all accounts quite well in the US. Um, so. Yeah, it's a very, um, <clears throat> I should say, it is a very lad film, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. And before I throw to you, Higgs, um, I've been having kind of a very, very mini, mini Jude Law season, I think, in the last kind of month or so, um, including films like The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is great, Repo Men, which is terrible. Um, but two films I very much enjoyed, which actually, would you believe, I'd never seen before somehow. Closer, from 2004. I'd somehow never seen it. I thought it was great, uh, if wildly obnoxious. And uh, Side Effects, Steven Soderbergh's Side Effects, which I very much enjoyed, especially because I enjoyed that it started out as a, oh, here's a grim treatise about depression and big pharma. Oh, no, no, never mind. It's a trashy 90s thriller. Great. I enjoy this. Good stuff. And I know you're I a big think, fan. I uh, think, I often think Closer gets a bit of a trashing, um, even though I really enjoy it. There's a lot of people who are like, the play is way better. Um, but it's like loosely based off A Midsummer Night's Dream because um, there's like four characters all interconnecting relationships and I think it's just really good I think the acting is really good and I think all four actors are fantastic in it it's very satisfying lots of great dialogue that you can tell that they're just fucking relishing playing so. yeah great lines as Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disco would know of course yeah Jesus <laughs> so much so much influence Higgs uh, what have you been watching so Dave, I'm hearing that you're you're trying to catch up on movies from 2021, but you're having a tough time of it because uh, most of the movies that you've picked are, have been terrible, and you're you're also got a bit of a thing for Jude Law at the moment. So how about I offer you the Nest, uh, which is the new movie from Sean Durkin, uh, who directed Martha Marcy May Marlene. He hasn't made a movie since, which is kind of odd, considering that movie was a bit of a critical darling, darling, an indie hit. Um, so this is a new one. Um, Jude Lost stars opposite Carrie Coon. He plays, um, you know, a businessman in America who he's from London and kind of is unhappy there and decides to move his family um, back to the UK. They get this big mansion in Surrey set in the 80s. And basically uh, the move, unsurprisingly, does not go well. Uh, everyone hates it. And the kind of it's basically the deterioration of the marriage and the family itself. Um, yeah, it's it's like a solid movie. Um, it's I, I can't say that like 
it completely bowled me over. I found the characters kind of hard to ultimately care about. I was like, you know, Jude Law's character is, I guess, someone that Eamon Dunphy would call a spoofer and a cod. You know, he's just like an absolute bullshitter um, who's, you know, hard to make an emotional connection with. Um, Carrie Coon is genuinely amazing in it, though. Um, and it's great to see her actually kind of get like a big meaty prestige film role like she's been great in tv shows for the best parts of the last decade so seeing her actually have this side was fantastic um an interesting experience when i went to see it in the cinema i went to like a, a matinee and i sat down and like not that many people in the cinema uh, two older ladies were sitting behind me and they were talking very loudly. It was like their kind of catch-up. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So th this is before the movie started. And I was like, is this going to be a problem? Thankfully, they were fine. And, they, you know, the occasional comment, you know, but very, very uh, hushed breath when they, when they said it uh, during the movie itself. But then at the end of it, credits roll. And they're like, oh, well, you know, that was good, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, just that shoot, that shoot law is very good. And she's like, I'd, ne I'd never seen that, that woman before, you know. She's a bit old. She's a bit old for Jude Law. And I was like, <laughs> wanted to stand up and be like, excuse me, ladies. How dare you? <laughs> That's Carrie Coon. <laughs> um, so it's a recommend anyway. Um, two other things I watched that would have made actually a really good double bill now that I think about it. Uh, another two new movies. Um, Pig, which is the Nicolas Cage pig movie or the Nicolas Cage somebody stole Nicolas Cage's pig and he wants to get it back movie um this movie will definitely is not what you think it is like uh, you know you see the poster and I was like oh it's John Wick with a pig and with Nicolas Cage um and that is not it goes to completely different places like very very bold choices very um um very like it's a very like, tender movie, which is a weird thing to say about uh, a movie where, you know, like a very like rundown Nicolas Cage who's trying to um, basically run around Portland trying to find his beloved truffle pig is. But uh, really, really good. I think it was a debut from uh, Michael Sarnowski, um, Nat Wolf, who's in Hereditary, is in it. It's very good. And Adam Arkin, who's like a very like stalwart of uh tv shows that you've probably seen pop up and things he's a really good turn in it um i watched it the day before or the day after uh first cow which is kelly reichardt's new one um very very simple story but very effective um just like a beautiful little story about uh two guys who meet um kind of like in the frontier out in i think also california certainly the west coast uh, one of them is a kind of a, a chef for some trappers and the other guy's kind of like on the run. They kind of hold up together and one of them is basically is a baker and he makes these incredible treats. But to to make them like they need milk and just so happens that the titular first cow has arrived in the area. Uh, Toby Jones plays like a, a military leader, brings it and they're kind of just sneaking onto the ranch at night milking the cow and then like selling treats to uh the happy uh the happy inhabitants of it very very simple film um two great leads john mcgarrow um who 
kind of pops up in a few things and then kind of standout is Orion Lee who I'd never seen before but like a quick glance at his his IMDb is that like he's popped up in lots of big budget things like Justice League and Star Wars but is quite literally like 50th cast member you know probably a stormtrooper with a helmet on so like great to just like see a new face um he's really really good uh, what else have I watched I watched Worth um this is the Netflix movie about Kenneth Feinberg who was the special master for the 9-11 victim compensation fund um really you know either very good timing from netflix when they released it or in very very poor taste um are they stacked like, like they, they threw about like 17 documentaries on yeah, like yeah. yeah i'm actually the... midway through a series about it's like it's a lot of 9-11 related content uh, on 20th anniversary i guess now is the time i yeah. mean like can i ask you to, can, I, can i ask you higgs though because like this film has Mike Dark Thirty keeps coming up every time I click <laughs> into Netflix. This so film has um this film has Mike Keaton and Stanley Tucci and kinda looks like Spotlight too, is it? Um yeah, not really. Um because Spotlight's a movie that I quite like. Uh I did not like this movie. So essentially, you know, the the whole the premise of it was Ken Feinberg had to come up with a formula to decide what is the worth of a human life. And so the whole movie, the whole thing that it ruminates on is is what, you know, what's a human life worth? Um, they signpost this at the beginning of the movie when uh, Michael Keaton playing Ken Feinberg literally gives a lecture on this to students. And it's like, OK, we're in this kind of didactic territory. Great. Um, it kind of feels like a good New Yorker article that's been stretched to a feature like movie. It looks really dull and flat, although I must say when I was watching it, I was watching it in a friend's house and I was like, this looks like like genuinely awful, like completely terrible, like, you know, not even TV show. And then I realized and I won't name the friends for fear that you know, there might be repercussions from Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie that motion smoothing had not been turned off on the TV. <laughs> and that's possibly why it looks so bad. But it still kind of looks super flat. Uh, definitely not a recommend. Another one from this year, uh, Stillwater. This is a, a, a very interesting movie. Speaking of Spotlight, this is Tom McCarthy's uh, director of Spotlight. His latest starring Matt Damon as a like an Oklahoma oil worker who goes to Marseille where his daughter is imprisoned um it's very much leaning into amanda knox's story um when i was watching it i was immediately thinking back to you talking about um riders of justice and invoking the jerry seinfeld it's european because um <laughs> yeah so it, it you know it starts off and it's okay we're, we're in the basically kind of verbatim kind of doing the amanda knox story and then it kind of you know it's just a lot of Matt Damon in Marseille and he meets this woman who has to be a translator for him and it's like oh now they're falling for each other and there's like a domestic romance drama that's happening in the middle of it and then it kind of veers into or you certainly feel like it's going to veer into like taken light uh, <laughs> towards the end of it um, Damon's strong in it there's things I really liked about it um, there's there's a there's a trilogy of books I love by Jean-Claude Izzo that are like crime novels set in Marseille and it's a city I quite like and it gets a lot of that it kind of I love stuff that's you know gets the the sights the sounds the smell the taste of a city it gets a lot of them uh, it doesn't get the taste there's a very disturbing scene where Matt Damon just cooks like just a hamburger for like 
a young child, like two hamburgers for, you know, a Marseille child who's probably being exposed to wonderful culinary delights. And he's just there, bang, two beef burgers. <laughs> Here's the ketchup, tuck in. Um, there's also a scene in the velodrome. Dimitri Payet, as a result, pops up in this movie, which was a, a welcome surprise. Wow. Um, yeah, so aside from that, just briefly wrapping up, um, two very, very, very long German movies. Um as is my brand. Doesn't sound uh, like you. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> the t- two that have been on the on the list for a while, but like they're both uh, one is three hours and one is just shy of three hours. So it's kind of like where does one find the time and you know motivate yourself to to watch them. Uh, first one is Never Look Away. I think on a previous episode I talked about watching like The Tourist um, and how terrible it was. Um, and this is Florian Henkel von Donnerschmark's follow up to that. Thankfully, it returned to form more in line with the lives of others. Um, this is a three-hour epic uh, about a painter uh, who kind of basically post-World War II um, was dealing with, you know, communist Germany. Um, it's loosely, although in some cases, very, very much inspired by the uh, German painter Gerhard Richter. Um, a great performance from Sebastian Koch, who was also in The Lives of Others. Um, Tom Schilling's in it. Paula Beer, who's a um, a regular of Christian Petzold, who I always must mention on this podcast. Um, really, really good. A really gorgeous film, obviously, dealing with a painter. It's very pictorial. The colours are lush. Um, it's got a very, very, very affecting Max Richter score. Um, a big recommend. And then the other one is Tony Erdman, which, um, again, is like two hours, 45 minutes a uh, German dramedy, which is kind of like, I guess, a hard sell. But um, this was like the quickest 165 minutes I've ever watched a movie. I absolutely loved this film. Um, Brief premise is about this kind of like prankster um, who is kind of like lost his relationship with his daughter. She's like a very successful businesswoman. She lives in Bucharest and he can never like make a connection with her. Um and then his dog dies and he just decides to go to Bucharest and tries to make the connection. It doesn't work. So he decides to create an alter ego who can kind of walk in the corridors of power that she inhabits. Um, and it's just absolutely like ridiculous, but so touching um, and absolutely hilarious. Peter uh, Semenishek is the lead. He's like wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And Sandra Huller as his daughter is fantastic. It's apparently down to be remade um the minute it came out there was talk for a while that jack nicholson was coming out of retirement for it um i don't think that's happening anymore hopefully there won't be a remake but you'd imagine one will be somewhere down the line well <clears throat> one film i doubt <laughs> will be remade by an american audience but who knows what a transition is, is the main film that we're here to discuss today it's called annette um it's got a hell of a backstory, a hell of a story. We've all seen it. It's been about two weeks now. We've had time to decompress. Let's remind ourselves of it by hearing a blast of the trailer. First time I fell in love. Woke up next to the girl. And escaped. Fast and far. And Anne has changed me. What I see in her is obvious. What she sees in me Hmm, that's a little more puzzling. One, two, three, four! 
This is my baby. The dulcet, frightening tones of Adam Driver there at the end of that. And we heard that great song again, which is the opening number of the movie. A song that I really like. A song that I've been playing quite a lot since seeing the film, even beforehand as well. Um, but I think it might set up a different film. This is uh, directed by a determinedly arthouse director. It's written uh, and based on an original idea by the Sparks brothers, Ron and Russell Mayle. Stars Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, and your man off the Big Bang Theory, Simon Helberg, who actually I thought was great in this film. And there's an interesting story about his participation in it as well, which we can get to at some point. But with the unenviable task of trying to explain this film to an audience who, probably even an audience who has seen it, but especially for those who haven't, I give you David Higgins. Okay, so yeah, you mentioned that this movie was conceived by Russell and Ron Mail. So um, fittingly, it debuted at Cannes, but it was also technically conceived there. Um, so Sparks uh, have been around for probably 50-odd years at this stage. I think 25 albums, um, subject of an Edgar Wright uh, documentary this summer that I actually haven't checked out yet, but I'm kind of looking forward to. Um, but as well as like putting out albums, they've always kind of been um, wanting to do something in film. And back in 2009, they did like a radio music drama called The Seduction of Ingmar Bergman. And... It was a played on Swedish radio, apparently, and was like a big uh, kind of musical piece with multiple cast members. And they'd kind of wanted to look at maybe doing that in a film, but they were also like, oh, that's that's a lot of people. And they wanted to tour it, but they were also like, oh, that's also like a lot of people. So they conceived a net, which, you know, essentially at the time was like a rock opera that they felt was a bit more contained and that they could... They could do live. There's prim- four primary ca- characters in it, uh, one of who is a marionette or in, in what they had planned at the time was basically just to like probably borrow the baby from American Sniper and then just stick it in a pram and, you know, darkly, darkly light it and then, you know, let the magic of the stage do the rest of it. Um, but when they were at Cannes, um, they bumped into... Uh, Leos Carax, uh, who was there for Holy Motors, and they were introduced. Leos Carax had actually used a Spark song in Holy Motors, and they were just like, oh, hey, you know, um, we have this idea, uh, Annette. And, you know, they just sent him basically the entire album. And they're like, what do you think? And he's like, I love it. And so they were like, okay, let's make this thing. And then you have, you know, I guess, eight years of trying to find finance, trying to find stars, Adam Driver came on board as a producer and obviously his clout post Star Wars means that more people want to put money into this. I think Amazon pumped money into it. I think when it was when I was watching it, actually, it's probably the longest list of funding and production I've seen in a movie in so long. Like there was at least four pages with about 15 to 20 financiers going into it. So what is Annette about, though? Um, It is about... Henry McHenry, who is a brash, provocative stand-up comedian in L.A., who is in a relationship with a world-famous um, opera singer, Anne DeFrano. And they have a whirlwind, rom- whirlwind romance. Uh, the press can't get enough of them. And they eventually have a child, Annette, who is a puppet, a wooden puppet, and things start to fall apart in their relationship. And I guess we can go into that a little bit more. But 
Yeah, and by the way, the whole thing is a sanctuary musical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, and I mean, like, I should say, like, we've all, I think, been avoiding the trailer, even when, like, putting it together for the last show, I watched, like, the first minute of it. I've since revisited the trailer, and I think it's not fully focused on, it is there, but not really. They kind of withhold the reveal of the baby, and I will say... Uh, you went to see in the lighthouse cinema and it was like a it was like a baton relay situation where you left a screening and norm and i went into the next screening uh just because the way the day worked out and when the when, when the baby was revealed to in fact be a marionette norma howard was shocked i'll tell you are you still shocked norma i just i just remember so because the reveal of the the baby takes a little minute like there's a song um that is happening and the baby's sort of held up and there's quite a lot of like bright neon lights and I had a suspicion that the baby maybe wasn't a normal baby and then when they lay it down you're like oh it's a little it's a little wooden doll I just I just remember turning to you and being like did you know and you were like I didn't know I was like okay just checking in case like because yeah I hadn't watched the trailer so I was unaware of what the setup was but I I mean, I was going on the assumption it was going to be, in general, the film would be something strange <laughs> and unusual, considering, it, considering um, I haven't seen uh, Holy Motors, but I've heard a lot about it, and I knew that there was probably not going to be a conventional storytelling f- aspects going on. And also, Sparks are a pair of weirdos as well, so I mean... <laughs> Lovable weirdos. Lovable weirdos. (laughs) Well, this is like this is like a deeply unmarketable film. Oh, I I say that, but like in fairness, like the marketing, the little I saw, it did hook me in, and it should be said that like, and there will be spoilers for this film as well, as we do with every show uh, or or every film that we talk about on the show. Um, I will say that like it's it's a it's a very. I think I asked you Higgs when you came out of it. I was like, "What are we going to see?" And he's like, "You're going to see an experience," and it certainly was. I mean, based on that kind of jaunty opening number and the way it's conveyed in the film is like it cuts into like Leo's Carax is behind a mixing desk. So it's like, hello, I'm the director. And like, it's very the whole thing is incredibly literal and meta, like all the way through. It cuts into a studio. Sparks Brothers are there. The male brothers, I should say, are there. They start that song off. They exit into like they move into profile. They move into the next thing. And then you get Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard coming down the stairs. They join in the song. Uh, Simon Helberg of Big Bang Theory joins in as well and it's like these are our players it's very much like a living play or something and like I love the opening number I love how it's shot I love all of it and I think it kind of set me up for a film that you know isn't as I think propulsive in that way it's a, it's two hours 20 um it's very <clears throat> like literal um you have characters literally spelling out who they are what they're doing um and i knew i knew like this is going to be abstract and artful and unconventional and it is all those things and i greatly respect the commitment and the oddity of all of it but i found it very hard to connect to on an emotional level i mean i don't even know where to start really ironically enough with you know the kind of the plot or the machinations thereof or what it all means so instead what i'll do is real quick i'll play a blast of another track from the score in which adam driver and Marion Cotillard declare their love for each other uh, repeatedly.
film that literally insists upon itself. And I'm I'm actually get, I'm, I'm actually doing the film a service here because like I picked a very like kick in part of that song. There are stretches of the song where it's literally just the lines over and over again with no lift. And I'm like, okay. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this sequence plays out in which they're like, you know, walking through a meadow. It's all lovely. And then there's also a moment where Adam Driver is performing Cunnilingus while singing. And it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's this, this ain't your mama's musical, basically. So, but we knew that going in to a degree. Um, I should say that like there are these moments of otherworldly strikingness if that's even a word and i think visually this film is incredibly uh well captured even there's endless shots of adam driver like driving a motorcycle at night and i was like if this was the film for two hours i'd be happy this looks amazing you know um everyone is giving it 110 percent as you say adam driver is a producer so he's been on board the whole time uh, I believe Rooney Mara was on board, then Michelle Williams, and then Marion Cotillard, which kind of is an interesting kind of thing in in regards to, <clears throat> you know, the guy from the Big Bang Theory being here. I read an interview with him recently, and he talked about how he was desperate to be part of this film, and how he became, like, he underwent the process of becoming a French citizen to be in this film, because they needed to have a certain amount of French a- actors or crew or something. And he I think was it was like, like EU, there had to be a certain amount of EU citizens. Okay. Which and he wouldn't have been, yeah. but now is. And now is, but <laughs> apparently... But apparently, like, he, he had to jump through all kinds of hoops to do this, and it'd be introduced to all kinds of officials and just, like, really kind of fight for this. And then when it was done, he apparently turned around to Leos Carrick Car- and was like, I've done it. And Leos Carrick was like, oh, no, that's fine. We don't need that anymore. We have Marion Cotillard. It's fine. And he was like, oh, okay. But like, uh, you know, everyone's everyone's giving 110. Uh, ostensibly, yeah, toxic relationship, toxic uh, toxic masculinity is at the heart of this movie. Adam Driver's character is this edgelord comedian uh, who has this kind of very difficult stand-up routine. And overall, everything goes very wrong. I don't know if there's more beyond that. I think the performances are excellent. I think it looks great. I didn't love the music while I watched the film, I've actually liked it a lot more since I've seen the film. Higgs, did you like this film? Because as ever, you've withheld your letterbox star rating. I've no idea what you think of it. I'm going to guess you enjoyed it, but didn't love it. I think you are probably on the money. So um, I went into it. I was actually checking uh, for our end of year. Was this like one of the things that I'd like picked out that I was most looking forward to? It wasn't, but in many ways it was. And... I think we were talking on the last episode about going to see another round and being like, God damn it, cinema's back. And this kind of felt like, you know, I think I also mentioned on the last episode about how like when I went to see Holy Motors, I was just like, it's like borderline out of body experience. I've never seen anything like that. It's, you know, a movie like that couldn't be anything but a movie. And it's everything that's great about movies. And so coming into this you know i'm just like you know all the moving parts in it i quite like put them all together this is going to be an amazing experience and i was ready for it and you know much like you were saying like that opening tune you're just like okay i'm so, I'm so in or even like the the leos caracks you know before talking telling you not to fart and not to breathe i was like okay yeah like i'm this is going to be something and it just didn't really go to where I wanted it to go. Um, I I definitely enjoyed it, and I feel like maybe it, I might enjoy it like on further rewatches. But in terms of just like being bowled over by it, it like really didn't do it for me. Um, which was a shame. Um, I agree. Like 
across the board performances are great um driver is so committed in this it's like wonderful seeing him just like do something even though he's kind of done kind of um off kilter roles before seeing him like commit to something like this so weird uh was fantastic but i think ultimately the songs aren't really there in it and you know this could have been anything like the, to me like you know yes it's a movie and it looks marvelous and there's some absolutely fantastic stuff that's comes from Leo's Carax and like his his handprint on this is great and there's you know visually colors um are remarkable but you know this basically started as an album um this could have been a stage production you know the plot could have been written on the back of a receipt you know it's it just didn't have it and then in terms of songs it's certainly front loaded like um what we just heard there we love each other so much i think is is a banger you know i agree that it, it goes on a bit but uh it definitely when it kicks in and you get like that rev off the motorcycle you're like oh here we go <laughs> but as it goes on i feel like the songs kind of get you know just like heavier obviously thematically it gets heavier as it goes on but like it leans a bit more into like you know the opera the tragedy and i don't feel like they they carry the weight i don't feel like that's where sparks are strong as musicians um so yeah a little a little disappointed by it but i do i do like it yeah i mean i think it's frustrating because like uh, narrative wise and here be spoilers but like like driver's character is essentially the opposite of his character in patterson like this guy's like fucking repulsive he's so toxic he's gross but there's not much more to him than that and essentially as the plot progresses they have the baby the relationship starts to fall apart um he is essentially driven kind of mad he's kind of consumed by jealousy his act is suffering her stars in the ascendancy his is descending and they're on a boat one night and he essentially throws her overboard question mark um but she dies marion cotillard exits the picture pretty much halfway through never to return apart from as like a kind of a specter um which actually i did like it was kind of like greek mythology and i was like yeah you're throwing everything at the wall here like this will this will soothe my classical studies brain but like she not being there really like he he has to carry the rest of it for the most part and he does as an actor like he's he's excellent in this but it's just like this really nasty character who's corrosive and I don't think that's interesting. And the more it went on, the more it was like, well, that's just all this is. It's just one note. There's nowhere you can really go with this apart from predictability. Simon Helper's character, like when he shows up in the film, you know exactly what's going to happen to him. And it's performed with regal majesty throughout. But by the end of it, I was kind of wondering what the point was. Norma Howard, we talked about it on the way out and we were kind of like, well, how do we feel about it? It's been a couple of weeks. Have you managed to kind of come to a come to a verdict on this whole thing? Um, yeah, I think I I think the more I thought about it, the more I actually disliked it. I, um, I think it, it was a, a very much an in-cinema experience that added to the... Um, uh, to initially what I got out of it, having kind of, um, like you said, that opening section is really energetic. It's very theatrical. It's um, it's bright colours. Yeah, and it's very, like, deconstructed. Like, here we are, here's our Berry Man, our merry band of players going to put on this show for you. It's a little bit like a, a high-intensity, weird Moulin Rouge-esque kind of setup. 
Um, and then it just kind of went slower and slower down into me just ultimately you know where the plot is going and I didn't have any interest in it um and yeah it was it was really hard because looking back in it once uh, Marion Cotillard's character Anne dies I really just I I felt my interest completely drop off. Um, I found like, and that's not by fault of the actors whatsoever. I'm kind of interested. I would be very interested to see. Um, there's probably an interview out there. So Sparks came up with the original story and concept behind it. It was going to be an album, um, but the screenplay is by Leos Carax. I'm pretty sure, and I would be interested to know how much of a plot he added to that. Because um, one of the, uh, you're introduced this beautiful, incredible relationship. Um, and then there's a song called Six Women Have Come Forward. And it. Uh, Shall it, we take a listen to that song? Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's, let's have a blast it. of a, of a yeah, a, a standout song for sure. Here it is. Six women have come forward. Each with a similar Yeah, so that that song comes in and um, from the plot perspective, um, it's kind of it's told Anne falls asleep in a car and then sort of dreams this sequence. And the suggestion is that Adam Driver's character um, had previous girlfriends or partners who he subjected to abuse and violent outrages and different things like this. And this is obviously plaguing Anne in a certain way. And then you start to gauge more of a picture of the kind of person that Henry McHenry is. And then like you do, I felt like I just really began to dislike him. So then when Anne is murdered, I think like he throws her off the boat or she falls off the boat and he chooses not to save her. Yeah. Um, And when her character exited the film, I just found it very hard because Adam's Adam Driver's character isn't particularly likable or enjoyable and there was still about an hour and a half to go. I was like, all right, we're we're now into like another hour and a half of a film with an incredibly unlikable lead. And not that like Adam Driver himself as an actor is unlikable, it's just an unlikable character and you're getting more of a picture of the kind of person that he is and that behavior does continue and spiral throughout the rest of the film and I found it very hard to root for anyone and you're kind of meant to root for Anne who as the uh, wooden doll towards at the very end of the film I guess the big reveal at the end is that a real girl ends up playing her and sings and sings incredibly I was kind of like that was one moment where I was utterly blown away because the singing throughout it is stunning Um, I think 
most of them do their own vocals except Marion Cotillard's are dubbed over with I think an opera singer but that little girl at the end I was absolutely blown away by it. and just by the end of the film he does get his comeuppance but it's it's a very hard road to go down um, yeah and I just it kind of deflated me a bit with such a strong start to it but. just to come back to uh six women have come forward i mean i don't think it's a good song it's certainly not catchy or anything like that but so i i was just like that's when the movie started losing me a little bit um so sparks when they when they sent carax the original he asked for some additional material now i know that the last song that he sings with the daughter um that was one of them but this kind of feels like it Could might one also of be one of them and kind of like a reaction to like, you know, a post Me Too world. And I was just like, are, are you know, well into their 70s male sparks and, you know, into his 60s, <laughs> Leo's Carac's really the men to be talking about this. And there's a line in it. And like, I know it's kind of like a, it's kind of trying to... Uh, ape some of the, the things that get send, said to, to women when they, you know, when they talk about allegations. But it's like, there's a lot of like, why now? Why are they saying this now? And I just felt that the whole thing like completely undermined it in both in the fact that like, we don't know that it definitely happened and it might have just been like an anxiety that Anne had when she was having a dream about Henry. But also that it kind of just really felt like it was undermining like the actual things that were being said about him. Um, there is it a- fell so flat for me. Yeah, there's there's a there's a couple of weird points throughout the film where I couldn't tell if there were certain story aspects being added because they're like politically or sort of socially um, prevalent right now or whether that's actually the story that they just wanted to tell overall. There are some like there's these there's these weird little news bulletins that shoot across the screen where it's like. Uh, I don't know what do you call those magazines like celebrity magazines it's, it's showbiz like, news in this yeah think, like Anne and Henry seen out with their baby trying to save their failing marriage sort of thing and those bits are quite enjoyable and I can tell obviously they're a parody on like modern life and how you know like TV stations like E and stuff like that like put all this pressure on these on famous people to live these particular lives and like you know we enjoy watching those lives crumble as much as we enjoy watching them shoot to fame it yeah it just kind of jolted at a a few times and i again yeah i would be interested to know if that was an original part of i this that's that's the thing i've been wondering about because like you know neither leos carax or i kind of even though um you know certainly I think Ron Mahale from Sparks, the the guy with the pencil mustache, has this very like stern look on stage, and it's it's an act, but he by all accounts is like quite friendly in interviews. But neither of them are like ones who are like we're going to explain our work, um, and they also don't seem like someone, uh, people that would be like super reactionary to things that are happening. That's why I'm kind of, you know, while there is undoubtedly a toxic masculinity at the core of this uh, in Henry's character. I'm like, is is that too simplistic a reading of this? Like, it I, is I, don't, a... I don't really know. I find it hard to penetrate exactly what they're trying to say because they're, you know, Sparks' music and Sparks' songs is always like dripped in irony and Leo Scarax's movies are very out there and it's kind of hard to like 
you know, know exactly what he's trying to say. But like, I don't think that they'd make just kind of blanket, very kind of obvious statements like yeah. the ones that are maybe it's, being read into. It's just funny because the that particular song describes the um, again. Yeah, like potentially he was accused of these things. We don't know if it actually happened or if it was just in her head, if it was a worry. But it doesn't uh, it doesn't affect the storyline going forward, other than it, I, I, it primarily affected my obviously my perception of him as a character and then later on when he does kind of throw um overboard like we do see him have kind of violent outbursts and he has a, a stage performance where he talks about how he kills his wife through tickling her feet um i actually like i enjoyed those wo- those weird uh comedian performances um i thought it was kind of an interesting way of telling that story but yeah i i just felt like the latter half of the film really lost me i didn't particularly enjoy where it went um i don't know i guess the overall message either the idea of the baby and then becoming the big star with this voice that she was given by her mother who's kind of haunting them it just didn't uh yeah, it didn't move me in a particular way. Uh, something that moved me was uh, like I, I, it just—I I, couldn't—I I couldn't get past this. So Adam Driver, when he's playing the comedian thing, um, he's rocking this disgusting green dressing gown, and it just made me realize how much I hate dressing gowns. I think dressing gowns are disgusting. I don't—I <laughs> don't get it. I don't know why. I don't know why people like like. There's just. I love uh, a good dressing gown. I think they're fab. Listen, <laughs> I, I say this with zero judgment. I just find them like like it's like a mustache to me or something like on its own, <laughs> on its own. Uh, Higgs's facial hair currently does not count. Like you have you have a, a nice mix, my friend. But like I just there's just like there's certain things like like it's like scraping your fingers off a fucking I don't know like a chalkboard or something. I was like Ugh. dressing gown thing really really bothers me. I get they do, like, like, they do make him very repulsive at certain points. Yeah, because um, like the banana him... and the cigarette thing, where he takes a bite of a banana and then smokes a cigarette, and you're like, Ugh. he's also wearing like a Howard Stern esque wig for the duration of the film, which you see him put on at the start of it because again, meta, and it's like he already has long hair, but it's shoulder length. Um, yeah, I guess like to kind of unpack what Norman was saying that like yeah, and what and what you were saying Higgs as well, where like you can't really penetrate what they're trying to say. I did come away from it thinking like, is 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 this really the the crux here? Is this really the arc of the narrative that like? genius is tortured male genius is tortured. Is, this, is this really all we have because it's kind of shocking i mean like the puppet thing makes sense because it's like fair enough he views her he views annette as a prop uh that he will literally use and does do this later in the film where he like sells like a world tour he gets simon helper's character to kind of compose music and like they go on tour until the inevitable bad stuff happens but like yeah, it's just that like, I kept waiting for some other kind of shoe to drop. Um, even like the the Marion Cotillard as kind of water ghost thing doesn't quite unfurl either. So it it just felt like like too many ideas or something. And like I, I can understand though why people adore this film. And like looking at some of the YouTube comments and some of the clips I was cutting, like one of them was like, "Oh, I've seen this film three times. I'm going to go again twice this week." And I was like, a "Fair play." I can't fathom why you could take this film in to that level because it's such a it's very overwhelming and like in that way it's like fucking i believe that you nail what you wanted to do and did it incredibly well and again all those financiers that you mentioned it's kind of amazing a film like this exists but i just wish i could connect to it and i just couldn't 
Yeah, it's just because um, it does like it looks beautiful. I did think it was impressive that he managed to get such big names attached to the project. Um, I think if he didn't have Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard or to a degree Simon Helberg, it, I don't know. Like, I guess because he did Holy Motors, he, it would have been received at Cannes anyway, but I don't know if it would have the wider cinema release that it did receive. Um, and I don't know if people would find it as interesting. Like, it's I can see why Adam Driver would come on as a producer. It's an interesting role for him. It's got a lot in it. It's not particularly, like, nice or pleasing, but I can see how from an actor's perspective, that is an interesting part to play um, and like everyone in it their singing is fantastic it's kind of a skill that they all get to flex um, Simon Helberg I think is also probably playing the piano actually he's a trained jazz pianist yeah like and that's incredible yeah <laughs> like those sequences with him are flawless when he's doing um, his conducting they look great and feel theatrical they feel more like a musical they feel like that the big scope having the choruses in and stuff like that I just think problematically for me it really is the storyline and I do think actually the like the weirdness and the trickiness of the storyline and having to follow through a, a main character that just does seem so awful probably affected the song I don't well, know, that could be a wild thing. To let's say. take a let's take a listen to Simon Helberg doing his thing. Um there is one of him playing piano, but I like this one more. It's when he's uh he's giving a monologue and again it's a total exposition dump and he's conducting and it's a nice kind of it's it's one of the film, uh, one of the points in the film where the music and the visuals kind of came together for me. So here it is. Henry has invited me to his place tomorrow to discuss a matter that he says concerns Annette and Anne. awkward as it is for me to attend anything that concerns Anne the future of Annette is something that concerns me excuse me one more time He's doing his kind of fourth wall break there. He's doing some some wild conducting. It's all very Danny Elfman, Tim Burton score there for a second, which I quite liked. Uh, and I quite liked his performance. I mean, I'm not a big Bang Theory guy. And it's funny because I was thinking, I was like, oh, this this clown actor from his clown show. And I'm like trying to, trying, trying to, be, trying to be taken seriously now. But I'm like, this guy's probably like worth like 200 million or something because they were making a disgusting amount of money at the end of that show. So for a fight, and give, the man, give the man some respect. He was really, really good in the Coen Brothers, a serious man. And I think he's also in Florence Foster Jenkins as well. So, you know, I think I think he kind of fell into the Big Bang Theory and it was like, oh, you want you want to baby how much? Oh no, like listen, I I'm 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 genuinely <laughs> lightly prodding the multimillionaire successful actor who's married with kids. Good for him. He's doing well. And he's very good in this, even if his character does fall prey to one of my least favourite things in cinema history ever. Being when drowned it, in a swimming pool? Well, not just that, but when a character is very obviously going to be murdered and is like, Here I am do it and it's like yeah cool whatever um yeah it's just it's it's just frustrating because like there's so much to enjoy about this film i think in terms of just the presentation the visuals the acting some of the songs but yeah and it wasn't even that i was like oh like i'm so repulsed by adam driver's character i was just like do something else like give me something like i need like a third act and i don't know if it has it and when it ended it was kind of like 
oh, I guess that's the end of the movie, and like, fair enough, that's fine, but yeah. I, I, Again, I think it's a, it's like a, uh, a story-based thing, because it's not like that the singing of the dialogue is that bad or anything like that, but with Simon Helberg's character, he's just called the accompanist. Um... I think what's what really irritated me was so there's um, the song that is between Anne and Henry and then the accompanist teaches it to Annette and then Henry goes into a rage because he's like, that was our song. Why would you teach her that? That was our song. And then the accompanist explains that he actually wrote the song and it's like this weird kind of love triangle. Um, but the woman is absent from the love triangle and the men are just fighting over it. and I was like don't care <laughs> I don't I don't care about either of you loving this woman I and even when he died I like other than when he passed away I was like I don't really know where they're gonna go from here so it's gonna have to end pretty soon and it's gonna have to end with Annette finding her voice because there's literally no other character left alive to pull and, them out of this. And that's <laughs> They've killed much, off the yeah. other two main characters. And that's pretty much what happens at the uh, the Super Bowl knockoff thing called the Hyper Bowl, which I appreciate the name of. I thought it was pretty funny. But yeah, even there's just something about these staging sometimes and, and the like, I guess the over literalness of the lyrics and the songs and how some scenes kind of just end with a whimper rather than the bind that you expect. And other scenes feel kind of, you know, claustrophobic. All of this, I'm sure, is by design. Like I say, I'd be very, very surprised if they didn't make the movie that they wanted to make. But ultimately, I just couldn't get on board with it. And I hate saying that repeatedly because I'm kind of like, where's my criticism? I mean, like, this is a film that, like, I th- I think, like, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm glad it got made because it's different. And, like, it is what you go to see in an RHA cinema. And you do come out of it with, like, some kind of divisive, provocative reactions. But, yeah, it just never, it just never fully clicked into gear. Higgs, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, just to, to say that, like, yeah, I agree. And I said it was a disappointment, even though I do, I do like this, but, um, I do love that this movie was made. Um, I love that Leo Scrax is, is making movies like he's been making movies since the eighties, but he's only made six of them. And he's by all accounts, uh, you know, he, he said, I think in an interview that like the reason he doesn't make movies so much is because he has a bad reputation and he had like this incredibly famed borderline hilariously over budget movie in the early 90s called uh, Le Mans de Pont Neuf. And I think it was like they were like trying to build an actual replica of the Pont Neuf bridge and it would like spiral out of control. And he was basically kind of blacklisted, not, you know, entirely, but like Nobody wanted to touch him. Nobody wanted to give money to him. So um, I'm very happy that he is doing that because I do think as a director, he is singular. He's an iconoclast. Um, He's incredibly cool. I know, you know, you know, kids don't smoke, but like, you know, he opens this movie. He opens Holy Motors and, you know, he's always wearing sunglasses. There's always like a cigarette just hanging out of his mouth. He's just really cool. And (laughs) I love what he brings to this movie, like the... You know, the one shot opener, um, the yeah, we, we talked about like the conductor conducting that like, you know, unbroken take of it just like spinning around. Um, I love how he kind of breaks the fourth wall without having someone necessarily talking directly to the camera. There's like 
there's a, a scene where Anne is performing an opera where she kind of like walks to the back of the stage and then is out in the in a an actual forest and like there's a shot where she's like looking back um into the audience from the forest and it's just like this is just like wonderful stuff. Um I love his colour schemes. I feel like he's made like a lot of iconic images in the movie that like I don't think is amazing. Like um even like I know you're you're not a fan of Adam Driver's uh his uh his dressing gown, but like his that forest green uh, leather jacket he wears with like the way his bicycle helmet is. Um, a lot of it is just like stunning imagery um, that I'll definitely will revisit. Um, I just wish, and it kind of sucks because like, you know, the, the couple of Spark songs, I think I own like one Spark CD and I saw them before. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted the tunes to be better. I feel like with better tunes, this could be really great. I um I watched a YouTube video on this there before we started recording and like there's a big breakdown of like the the use of colors and what the you know green and yellow are kind of Adam Driver's red is Marion Cotillard's and the you know it it all has meaning and it does but again it was just you know it was just a bit too modern art for me um <laughs> if I can if the I green can I think is also linked if if we want to take an extension to oh, Holy Motors, Motors yeah is uh there's a there's a particular character in it called uh, Monsieur Murd or like Mister Shit. Who's this absolutely insane uh, flower-eating uh, pest who wears basically the exact same color scheme? So nice that he's at least linking Henry to him. He's consistent, yeah. Um, Norma, I feel like Marion Cotillard as I know that an opera singer is is dubbing her opera vocals, but like I feel like Marion Cotillard as singer and performer in this regard, it, it's not really much of a revelation. We've seen her do it before. I guess this is relatively unfamiliar territory for Adam Driver. Would you like to see him in a more wholesome musical in the future? Uh, he sings in Inside Lewin Davis. Isn't like well, I knew yeah. he was a singer. That's like, true. I he sings in Marriage Story. I haven't does, seen Marriage uh, Story. He does. he does Being Alive from Company. I, th- I think which he is very sings good. in Girls as well. You can do it all. Actually, I think I've se- I've seen him sing in a lot of things. Star Wars. He sings in Star Wars, of course, famously. Uh, yeah, actually, the scene in, in Marriage Story is a really big deal when he sings. Um, yeah, I, I thought that the casting of the two of them together and their voices complement each other really well. And I did actually think that was a very beautiful uh, bringing together of two extremely talented actors. Um, I don't think, actually... I could be wrong in this. I don't think Marion Cotillard is singing in a Beyond Rose. I would imagine she's not. Yeah, <laughs> but I might be is. wrong here. So I don't know if I've ever actually heard her just singing. What else have I seen in singing? I don't know. But either way, it was all very good. And like you guys were saying, it is like it's directed with extreme commitment. It has a lot of beautiful things. It was. It was also very to just hark back to what I said at the very start of this, it was beautiful to see it in a cinema, to see all those colours, to see those images coming at you on the screen and like just, yeah, that level of commitment from absolutely everyone involved is gorgeous. And as much as I may not have connected or engaged with it as a piece completely, I would absolutely go see another one of his films if he did bring out something else musical based or otherwise I still think I would be very interested to see what else he produces and directs 
there is uh, something, and I didn't realize this. There is something of a post-credit sequence in this movie. Um, the bane of my life. <laughs> we talked about there being a post-credit sequence on "We Are Your Friends," although that was literally after the credits. But this is like at the very end of the credits, or so it seems. All the songs are, are going up the screen. Uh, I've tracked it down. They should start saying that at the start of films. They just have like, to like say an, like an usher. Yeah, um, comes in and it's just like there's a post-credit scene. Apparently, that does happen in America quite a bit. I remember hearing a podcast years ago. And they said that they went to see like whatever Twilight film was out at the time. Uh, apparently, like an usher was there at the start of the film, and they were like, "Now, just so you know, folks, um, there's a post-credit sequence in this movie." And apparently, like someone in the front row was like, "Oh my god, thank you!" <laughs> just, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm very, I am very quick out of my seat, regardless of how I feel about a film. I am up and out of there. I will not hang around if I don't specifically know that there's something to hang around for. I love a bit of which credits. is what we did. We left. Uh, yeah, fair enough. We, we didn't leg it out at the cinema, but I think yeah, I, I, but we were pretty quick. We were overwhelmed. Um, in my but, defense, I was coming to meet you for a point. Yeah, it's all my <laughs> fault. Um, but I will say, I managed to track down some of this, and it, it, it closes as the film begins, essentially with all of the cast and performers, including the Sparks Brothers. I keep calling them the Sparks Brothers because the name of that documentary. Um, walking through some kind of a field with like lights and stuff, and this is what they have to say. It's the end. So we bid you. It's that kind of movie, guys. Um, so, what kind of movie are we doing next on No Popcorn? Uh, something very different. And that's something uh, celebrating an anniversary at the moment, I believe. I only watched it earlier this year, at the start of the year. And I'm wondering, should I watch it again? It's a film I feel like I've consumed by osmosis a lot over the last decade. I think we all have. And that film, which might not sound very musical, but kind of is, sounds a bit like this. If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place. I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Is that dangerous? It's only part-time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing he can't do. Kid, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. Yeah, it's the feel-good hit of September 2011. It's Drive. <laughs> Dave Higgins. Uh, you want to do this one? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, so you, I find it odd that you're questioning its, its credentials to qualify for... Fur no popcorn, which has to have a musical uh, <laughs> slant on it. I, I feel like it's very obvious with this one. Um, I feel like the, the the soundtrack to this movie is probably as iconic as the movie itself. Uh, the soundtrack is listed as Cliff Martinez, who would also qualify on his own, having previously been in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But most famously, um, Nicholas Winding Refn originally chose um, Johnny Jewel of Chromatics. 
who I feel like if it were not for Kanye West would be the patron saint of uh, No Encore um, <laughs> to do the score and he did do the score and then kind of at the last minute and this seems to be a decision from Refn himself not Johnny Jules usual oh I, I made something uh, it's it's ready to go I'm going to throw it in the trash um, he got Martinez to come in and kind of do something similar but um, yeah the score still has chromatics uh, it's got a that Kavinsky song it's got desire it's got a lot of Italians do it better uh, Jules label um, so yeah why not well I think my kind of slight you know reticence there was more that like although you, you do hear chromatics in that trailer I was just like I, I, when I was cutting the trailer earlier on I was like yeah I was like this trailer like I think is famously misleading in that like a lot of people kind of gave out about it they were like this this looked like a totally different film I thought it was going to be an action movie like a Fast and Furious movie or something but yeah it's a pop culture moment. Music is a big part of that. Uh, Norma Howard, when was the last time you saw a Drive, may I ask? I think actually only about three years ago. I've seen it maybe four or five times. Wow. I know. My, um, my January Do you know what it revisit. is? It's like I watched it with one person and then I would tell someone else about the film. And they'll be like, let's watch it. And then I just watch it again. For a very intense film, it does actually have rewatch ability yeah it's i rewatched it in january this year and i think it was genuinely the first time since the cinema and i think it's because there was just that weird thing where i just felt like i'd consumed it multiple times without actually doing so because it was just everywhere like like there was so much about it everywhere so much iconography surrounding it as well and that's what we're going to talk about next on the show um but for now i want to thank norma howard i want to thank dave higgins i want to thank marionette makers the world over um, I guess real quick before we go, will either of you be returning to this uh, as a score, as a soundtrack, Annette? Will you fire on any any songs from it or will you both be moving on with your lives? Higgs, you first. Um, so may we start and We Love Each Other So Much have made it into my 2021 playlist. So yes, it definitely will. The height of uh, acclaim right there, Norma? <laughs> I have actually. So the soundtrack is, I think it's weird. It's up on Spotify, but a soundtrack I found is it's like the can edition. So I don't know how that differs from. There's going to be another edition later this year, apparently, called to Leos Carax, that will include the original Sparks version. So it won't have the it won't have the cast. It'll just be Sparks doing the oh. songs, which will be interesting. Yeah, I would be quite interested also to hear that and see what it is. I think there's some. Yeah, there's there's a couple of tunes on there. I don't know about actually revisiting the film itself. Well. Only time will tell. Well, we'll close with a with another number, perhaps the appropriately titled Sympathy for the Abyss to close us out. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Popcorn. There'll be no popcorn and it'll be Drive next time. Goodbye. This I'm sure imagination's strong and reason's song is weak and thin. We don't have long. I stood upon a Deep abyss below Compelled to look I tried To fight it off God knows I tried This horrid urge to look below But half horrified And half relieved I cast my eyes Toward the abyss The dark abyss
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.